0: to another episode of The Truth About Tech. Uh, today we're going to be checking in on kind of the ecosystem of EVs, and we have an expert on the subject today, Tom, Tom Malagny. Um, Tom, thank you so much for, for joining me. Um, what, like, what got you into electric vehicles, first off?
1: <laughs> well, it's been an interesting journey, Tori, and thanks for having me on the show. Um, I had owned a restaurant for nearly 30 years. and oh my God. that. Was, I, feel that sorry. Was...
0: I feel bad for you. I, I come from a restaurant. My dad had a restaurant and I grew up in it. and it's, 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 a, it's a tough life.
1: That's the funny thing, unless you've lived in it, you think it's glamorous, right? But if you if if it's been part of your family, you're like, oh, I feel bad for you. I hear that all the time. You know, I uh, people are like, oh, I so wish I wish my family ran a restaurant. It would be such, it would be so much fun. But then you talk to the people that really ran them, and they're like, oh, my life was hell. You know, yeah. I was washing dishes at eight. You know, <laughs> <laughs> me too. So, but in any event. So yeah, um, and but I had always been interested in alternative fuel vehicles. I don't know. Since I was a young kid, I I grew up in the 70s. I don't know if you're old enough to remember the oil embargo and early 70s, the long gas lines. So my neighbor converted like this old Chevy to an electric car back in like 73 or 74. And I remember him taking me for a ride and I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. And I think that kind of gave me the bug that way back then. But, you know, fast forward many years later, I started um, trying to see if there was any alternative fuel vehicles, just out of curiosity. I loved tech. And that was really why, you know, this was new, it was different tech, you know, and um, was it hydrogen? Was it natural gas? Was it electric? What would be the alternative fuel vehicle that we kind of go into? And so as I was doing more and more research, I kind of honed in on electric. And I really thought that was going to be what it um, took off. Now this is the early two thousands. And um, I, I, I always, you know, I don't like to get too deep into the politics of it, but then nine 11 happened. And yeah. I, you know, where my restaurant was, you could see the twin towers fall from oh, the whoa. parking lot behind my restaurant. I was in Montclair, New Jersey, about 12 miles straight line from New York city and it was up on a hill. So you can look down at New York city and, wow. you know, I couldn't help but think at the time that some of the money that funded that attack on our country um, came from oil money, and you know it, it's, it's been proven years later that you know it ha- it has been, and um, you know and and a lot of it came uh, from Saudi Arabia. And meanwhile, we have such a good relationship with Saudi Arabia, we almost couldn't even call them out on it because we need their energy, and you know they're a strategic partner and all that you know, kind of BS. So that that kind of really made me feel even more like, listen, I want to see if I can reduce my dependence on foreign energy. Personally, I know I'm (laughs) not going to affect the whole country, but so I did more and more research on electric cars. And then I came across this application online in 2008 that said, do you want to drive an electric car? And at the time, there were no electric cars. Well, you could buy, you could order a Tesla Roadster for like $125,000, and no one had even known Tesla at the time. It was like, you know, this this company's never going to be around two or three years from now. So, you know, and and I didn't have $125,000 to throw down. So I I filled out this application. I was accepted into the program, and about a year later, I was driving an all-electric Mini Cooper, and I was in a pilot program by BMW. They were learning about electric mobility and people's habits, and it was the greatest thing in the world. After just a couple months of driving it, I was like, "That's it." Like, I, from what I was thinking, my whole life, like, is true. This is just better. So, put a solar array on my house, and said, "I'm buying. I'm driving electric cars from now on, even if I have to make them myself." Because people really weren't making and selling electric cars back in 2008, 2009. But then the market started slowly trickling, and I, I, I got another electric car and another electric car. I've been driving electric cars full time now since 2009. Uh, and, um, I started blogging about living with an electric car and this was like 2010, 2011, my blogs became really popular. And then I started getting asked to write guest articles for different websites and different, uh, car, uh, news, news sites. And it kind of snowballed from there. And after, um, five, six, seven years of doing that. I started getting asked to do some consulting jobs for major OEMs because I kind of understood this market, knew where electric cars were going when a lot of people didn't. And it just snowballed and snowballed. Finally, I said, you know what? I want to do this full time. I had a nice talk with my wife and said, I want to sell the restaurant and I want to go into this full time. I said, it's going to take me a few years before I could actually make a living when I'm not going to make any money in the beginning. And but we did that. She my wife was fantastic. She said, "Okay, if that's follow your passion and do it. And uh, I never looked back. And now with the way the market's exploding, yeah, I get requests to do consulting every week. And I just pretty much turn everything down because I'm just so busy with what I'm, what I'm doing.
0: Right. That's incredible. You know, it's, it's funny when you talked about the, the early Tesla, the Roadster. Um, I remember we were filming in um, San Bruno and we were at this like, you know, mini car racetrack and there was a group of people there that worked for Tesla and they had a roadster and they were like, hey, do you wanna come and take it for a test drive? And so we just like, you know, just drove up and down the street. And at the time it was like, I had no, you know, I kind of played it off like, oh yeah, Tesla, I know what those are. Had no clue, got in it. It was like the coolest thing because it was the first time hitting that accelerator and it's like instant torque, like instant power. And you're 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 taking off, you know, there's there's no lag. Um, but now, like you were saying, how the, the this current climate, it's like it looks like everybody is going towards EVs.
1: Well, it's true. They are. And, you know, we're just hearing about it now. It, it's not that that hadn't been the case for the last few years because it had. I mean, I get exposure to um, talk to executives from pretty much all the OEMs out there and I, they, they knew this was coming. They saw this was coming, but you know what? Car companies don't like to talk about what they can't sell today. So even though most of the car companies understood four or five years ago that the whole industry was going to electrify within the next 10 to 20 years, they, they all understood this, at least the, yeah. the ones that weren't brain dead. And, um, but they didn't want to say that because, you know, they, they, they like to t- talk about what they have in their showrooms today not right. what they're going to have in this room 10 years from now. So this isn't like all of a sudden this happened. These companies have been planning. They knew this was going to happen. I've been talking about, I've been standing on my soapbox for a decade now. And for, for the first four or five years, people are saying, you know, you're nuts. Like we're, we're not, I'm not driving an electric car. Then for right. a couple of years, it was like, well, maybe they're starting to get better, but not until batteries get better. And now it's just kind of like, yeah, I'll eventually be driving what I know. You know, it seems like the whole industry is going that way. And it is.
0: But like originally, you know, you had Tesla, which was, you know, a brand new manufacturing company, and then you had um, Fisker, right? That 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 was the their big competitor. But now you're starting to see these legacy automotive companies building their own version of electric cars. Is that like? Do you think that is because of, like, the government? You know, make you know giving these you know. Subsidizing them, or is it just? I don't know. What, what do you think is causing this trend?
1: So, yeah, I think that, um, you know, government, if you want to say intervention, has uh, maybe made it happen quicker than it would have, setting, you know, right. gas standards, uh, corporate, you know, average fuel economy standards in Europe. They have strict uh, standards on a certain percent of the fleet it has to be zero emission. And what that really, the only thing that that has done, in my opinion, is, is it's going to make this transition happen quicker, Tory, It was yeah. going to happen anyway. And it was simply going to happen because electric vehicles are better vehicles. That, that's period. That's right. All the government intervention in the world, all the, the talk about saving the planet and all this, that's not going to put the vast majority of people in electric vehicles, they will only transition to these vehicles when they are they work for them and they're better. And um, we we wouldn't get there. And with any new technology, it takes years before it really gets to the point where it's really good. I mean, look at plasma TVs. The first ones came out. They were small. Right. They were $10,000. You know, if, if people didn't spend money on them. We would never get to where we are today, and it was kind of like that with electric vehicles that the early ones weren't that great. They were very expensive. They didn't go that far. They didn't charge that fast. But but the fact that government said, look, we, we need to move in this direction. And they put out subsidies and they kind of forced manufacturers to 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 have a certain percentage of their vehicles, zero emission. Um, what that did was it helped pour investment into that and, and make it better. So we would have gotten to where we're going to go anyway without any incentives, but it would have taken an extra maybe decade.
0: Right. The Truth About Tech is brought to you by Turbine, the company that's linking the metaverse with the physical world using the internet of things. Everything from electric vehicles to smart cities, to smart grids and digital twins. Turbine is the largest system of sensor data coming from public infrastructure and commercial sources, all highly curated for uses in areas as diverse as augmented reality, insurance calculations, or guiding delivery drones. Check it out at turbine.com. That's T E R B I N E.com. Turbine, we're taking the pulse of the earth. And you know, it's interesting. I don't know if you know the history of just like how you know, going from horse and buggy to the automobile, right? Like, it'd be interesting. I, I don't personally know the history, but it would be interesting to see what the pushback was against automobiles at the time.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. You know, anything that is that disruptive, you know, of a technology, there's going to be resistance. You know, we're creatures of habit. We, we don't yeah. like change. As much as we say we're open to change, we really don't, We're we're not. Let's face it. Who likes buying gasoline? Think about it. Who likes pulling up to a gas station and getting gas? But So then why are people so reluctant to let go of that and move into something as easy as plugging in? Because, you know, it's the devil they know. You know, they're used to it. They're comfortable with it. Nobody likes buying guests. And I'm sure that was the case back with horses. You know, there were people that didn't want to give up their trusty horse because, well, their dad used a horse, their grandfather used a horse. It worked for them. It gets them from point A to point B. It doesn't cost that much to run. You know, you buy some hay, you know. So, um, (laughs) you know, there was a a quote from from Henry Ford. It's never been proven if he actually said this, but I hope he said it because it's kind of cool you know, when he said, you know, if I would have asked uh, people of my time, um, what they wanted me to produce, you know, as far as personal transportation, they would have said, build me a faster horse. They would have yeah. never said, make the Model T or make this, this mechanical horse thing, you know, a horseless carriage. But, you know, he knew that if he made it, and he made it right, people would prefer it. And it's like that with electric vehicles, you know, once we iron out some of the details we have now, infrastructure, um, you know, charging speeds, uh, cost is a big barrier right now. Once we get all that down and it's all going to iron itself out in the next few years, then people are just naturally going to prefer electric vehicles because like the model T was to the horse, it's a better mode of transportation.
0: Yeah. But you know, that does bring up a good point. You, you're talking about going to the gas station. Um, Cause I, was all in on EVs, right? Because you know, it's like I didn't really I you know I think the technology is amazing. I think what they're um you know the vehicles themselves are incredible machines but the charging right the 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 weighting of it's with gas it's like you pull up you fill up and you take off right but with the charging there is that kind of you have to plot out your travel you know it's it's not as convenient right now with with the way the charging is and especially with the infrastructure right the infrastructure isn't there yet um i just saw a video um there's a line of teslas and electric vehicles lining up at a charging station in paso or san luis obispo and you know and it was just this line of electric vehicles and they weren't even at the charging station yet so what, like, how do you see getting over that hurdle?
1: Okay, so a couple of things. Um, there are a few areas, particularly in California, where you get backups like that, but that's extremely rare around around the country. I've, I've never witnessed anything like that myself, and I've been driving electric cars for, for you know, 10 years now, but I live on the right. East Coast, so there's right. not as many. In California, There's a, the the rate of electric vehicle adoption has outpaced Infrastructure. You know, there's the yeah, too many electric
0: vehicles. And that's the danger, right? Because right, it's like yeah. now, so, now you have this glut of electric vehicles, but you don't have the stations to charge them.
1: Right. So, um, back when I first started driving electric cars, there were no public charging stations zero. You, you could only charge at home. That was it. There wasn't any. So, what I've seen in the last decade to me is amazing. What we've yeah. built out. Um, somebody else who maybe hasn't gone along the journey like I have looks at it and says, geez, there's no charging stations where, you know, how can we don't have more? Because, you know, they haven't seen the evolution of this. But what, what's what's inspiring to me is seen in the last two or three years, how many thousands of high speed DC fast charging stations have been installed. And now this infrastructure bill, which which, you know, is really, you know, Uh, aimed at helping tackle that problem of, look, you know, we're not telling you which cars to buy, but we're going to we're going to make sure that if you do choose an electric car, there'll be a place for you to charge it. So so that's to me, that's a good use of government, you know, rather than saying, you know, we're going to ban electric car, uh, gas cars and force you to buy an electric car. I I, I don't support that. Um, Right. uh, But what I do support is helping Um, advance the infrastructure so that people can decide which vehicle they want. And that's what I think a big part of what this infrastructure bill is going to do. It's going to help put charging stations everywhere they're needed and have a plethora of them so that there won't be backlogs. Uh, And, you know, and these are super high speed charging stations. One of the the critical, one of the problems we had only four or five years ago was that electric vehicles took hours to recharge. That's no longer the case. Um, most new electric vehicles that come to the market now, when you plug them into one of these ultra high speed charging stations that we're going to be installing thousands of them across the country, you only have to stop for somewhere between twenty and thirty minutes. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And 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 then you'll be good to drive another two to three hundred miles. And, and so what? Know, that's what is not a long stop. This,
0: what is this new technology that's allowing that to happen?
1: All it is really, it's it's really not new. What it is is the the electric vehicles are getting better. They're DC fast, they're, char- they're able to accept more power okay. and the charging stations are able to deliver more power. It's yep. not really you know, like any type of revolutionary new uh, technology. What it is, is the manufacturers are saying, you know, we have to tear down the hurdles and charging's a hurdle. Tesla always understood this. Tesla yeah. from the beginning, their cars could accept an extremely high amount of power. The other, the, the, the legacy OEMs, the first electric cars they put out, they couldn't charge at a quarter of the speed that a Tesla could. But now they're realizing, look, if we want to compete with Tesla, we've got to do at least as good as Tesla's doing. And yeah. some of the new electric vehicles can charge even faster than a Tesla.
0: Yeah. Now, that, that's, you know, you bring up a good point. And the other point that I like what you said, you know, you hear a lot of people talking about electric vehicles, how they're saving, they're going to save the planet, Right no emissions, but I like what you said was they're just better vehicles. Like it's just a a, a better design, better machine. Um, and, and it's interesting because that's the first time I've ever heard anybody kind of, you know, just say for, you know, regardless of whether it's, you know, clean energy, you know, emissions free, it's just a better vehicle. Um, and I think a lot of people who aren't familiar with electric vehicles, you know, until they get in one and drive one, um, they don't really understand it. You know, they don't, they don't know the difference.
1: That's a hundred percent true. I was always a car guy. I wasn't somebody who, you know, um, was it, uh, let's say, you know, total environmentalist, nothing against that. I mean, it's great right. to be an environmentalist, but I didn't get into electric vehicles for that. We talked a little bit about earlier about why I did it was kind of energy independence. Uh, and, um, the the fact that electric vehicles have that instant torque that you talked about in acceleration, there's no maintenance. There's, I mean, tires and wiper blades. You don't get oil changes. You don't have to worry about your muffler rotting out. You don't have to worry about someone stealing your catalytic converter. You know, I mean, all, all these things, it's just tires and wiper blades. And the cost to refuel it is pennies. I mean, it costs me at home about 13 to $14 to charge my Tesla and I can drive almost 300 miles on that. So, right. you know, the, the overall cost, even if an electric car today, most comparable electric cars cost more than their comparable gas counterparts. But if you do total cost of ownership, it nets out, you're ahead. But that that's another challenge because people look at electric car on a show floor and say, Ooh, that's $45,000. I'm going to get that $38,000 car. It, it's the same car. Really, same yeah. size, same utility, all that stuff, and that one's six thousand dollars more. Do your running costs for five years on on maintenance and fueling, and 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 then take into consideration the possible incentives on that vehicle, and you'll actually save a few thousand dollars. Uh, so yeah. you know that's one thing to understand that um, you know besides doing so many things better in my opinion than the gas cars not have to deal with maintenance and the fueling costs, they, they actually will have a total lower cost of ownership, even if the initial price is higher.
0: Interesting. Yeah, that, you know, that's a, 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 you don't even really think about maintenance um, when it comes to the electric cars. You're know, we saying tires and wiper blades. But let's talk about batteries, because, you know, it's like there is a lot of question with the batteries, right? How long these batteries have to live, you know, their their life... And mm-hmm. also the kind of the disposal of these batteries. And on top of that, if one of these batteries catches on fire, right, you, you, you're hearing about these fires that you can't put out with these electric car batteries.
1: Yeah, true. And so there's a lot there. Let's um, let's first talk about the fires because you, you brought that up. <laughs> we're we're looking at
0: how so, I, like I, I'd like to look at just both sides. Yeah. Right. It's like how no. amazing these vehicles are, but there are some drawbacks. And I'm just curious to hear your your side of that.
1: Yeah, you, you absolutely should look at the drawbacks. You know, no, nothing's perfect, and you know the, these things don't run on you know unicorn farts. You know, they they, <laughs> they, they, they. You know, electricity does need to be made somewhere. You know, so it's you know it, it's not you know it's zero tailpipe emission, but not true zero emission unless, like me, you're plugging into your house where this electric's making being made by your solar array. Um, but let's talk about the fire. So statistically, uh, electric cars catch on fire. Less often than gas cars statistically. If you look at you get the raw data on on, on how many electric cars are on the market, how many fires they have. Um, but the problem is whenever an electric car is on fire, it goes, it's in the news. There is yeah. hundreds, maybe thousands, of electric of gas car fires every day. How many times right. you drive down the highway? There's a big flames coming out. Yeah. Um, so statistically, they're safer fire-wise now. Um, The Chevy Bolt recently made uh, a lot of news on this because there was a full recall uh, on the Chevy Bolt battery pack. It's made by LG Chem. There's a problem with it. And um, the Chevy has to replace all of the Bolt battery packs because there's a serious issue that could cause them to go on fire. I think to date about 15 of them have gone on fire. But they're they're replacing all those battery packs. Um, And yes, they are harder to put out. In a fire, so first responders have to understand how to do this. It's interesting. There's a company in Europe making this fire truck where it's just a truck with almost a big like bathtub in the back that they pull, and it's filled with water. And it's so cool (laughs) when you pull up to the fire. If it's an electric car fire, like a crane comes out, picks the car up. And drops it in the back, and it's submerged under like eight feet of water, and it leaves it there for like a couple of. It drives somewhere, parks, and then the next day it lifts the thing out, and it's it's done. So there's no fighting the fire. Nobody. I I think that's a cool concept. That's interesting. But the one thing I will say about electric car fires is, when a gas car goes on fire, it can flame out pretty quickly. Like you know, if it's a if it's a really bad uh, accident, you slide into a tree. It, it can pretty much engulf the car in flames pretty quickly. That yeah. don't, doesn't happen with electric cars. When when there's an electric car battery fire, typically, you, uh, first of all, you get tons of warnings, you know, the alerts go off and everything. You'll pull over and get out, even if it's a bad accident, unless you're incapacitated, if you're passed out, the the, the car will smolder. Maybe one of the battery modules will go on fire before it catches to other ones. Typically yeah. you have a lot more time to get out of an electric car fire than you do a gas car fire. So that's, right. that, that's just a little point there. So let's move on from the fires. Um, what was, uh, let's talk about battery life. You also yeah. asked me about that. So um, we're getting a lot of data now from uh, electric cars that have been on the road for a very long time. And we're finding out that the batteries are even lasting longer than we expected they would. Now, with electric car batteries, it's not like one day, boom, the battery doesn't work. Like, you know, with a gas engine, the engine ceases and you need a new engine, you know, for whatever reason, with batteries, they just slowly degrade. So you get a new car that can go 325 miles, maybe in 10 years, it can only go 250 miles per charge, but that it doesn't mean that you can't use a battery anymore. You just need to recharge it more frequently. Um, And we have electric cars on the road now that have 200, 300,000, even more than 400,000 miles on the original battery packs. It's just, they don't go as far as they used to. What we typically talk about as end of life in automotive use for batteries is when they're at 70% of their capacity. So um, let's say electric vehicle can go 300 miles when it's new, when it's down to 210 miles Uh, That means it's kind of end of life somewhere, somewhere around, somewhere around there. Um, And then they don't go to landfills. These batteries are still extremely useful because don't forget, they can still, they still have 70% of their original uh, capacity. What happens is there's going to be second uses for the batteries. There's companies now that are forming partnerships with OEMs to buy these battery packs. A lot of those companies are utilities for stationary energy storage. They'll pile hundreds of these batteries together in a, in a, in a, in a, in a warehouse and they'll right. use it to balance the electric load. So it'll kind of be like yeah. a giant battery backup for a, for, for a, a city or a town. Right. And then also private companies are buying them and they're repackaging them for stationary energy storage in your house. They'll sell you a, a used battery pack and you'll use it as a backup for when you have a power outage at your, at your house. So the the batteries are going to be used for at least 10 more years after they come out of a car and they're considered end of life for automotive use. Eventually, they'll be recycled. They don't end up in landfills because they have um, materials inside lithium, uh, yeah. you know, magnes, you know, the things that are have value. So upwards of 90 percent of the battery pack will actually be recycled.
0: That's cool. Interesting. Um cuz I mean that is your like you were saying the the it's not completely void of emissions, right? It's like there is the 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 byproduct of the battery. Um now let's talk about uh range anxiety. Now, I didn't even know what that was until I drove in an electric car. So a buddy of mine, he and I went. We were filming a show, and we drove about 200 miles to location. But we were at a, a quarry. We were blowing up a, another vehicle, and there was nowhere to charge, like you know, for miles. And so we got there. We were about 20 percent battery life, and you know, we had we had about 20 percent charge on the battery. And he's like, "Oh, don't worry. We'll just we'll go back into town, you know, and we'll." get dinner it'll charge for a half hour and then you know we'll head home and so i'm like okay you know like this is something new for me because i've never gone a long distance in an electric car it's always been riding around town and so it was the first time of thinking like wow if if we had just if i had driven my car we would just jump in the car and go home like now we got to go wait so we get out have dinner it's charging and then we get back in the car and we're going and uh as we're driving, we see the mileage of getting to the shop is, is about even with the amount of, you know, mileage that the car can go. And, and he, you know, we are like, do we, do we take a chance? Do we just try to get to the shop or do we stop and charge for a little bit longer? And we had to stop and charge for another 10 minutes. And so ever since then, he's all about EVs. And I just, I, you know, I tease him about that, but I mean, that is a real kind of, you know, block for people who don't want, you know, who who aren't adopting this electric vehicle movement. That's one of their arguments.
1: And I agree. It's an issue, but I love the way you framed the whole story. And you didn't just ask me, um, what about range anxiety? I'm glad that you explained, because here's what I'm going to say. You didn't have range anxiety. You had charging anxiety. Because the range wasn't the problem. It was the inability to charge the vehicle quickly and easily. Okay, that was your big problem. And it goes down to the infrastructure. You were using a level two charging station, which is not the right charging station for that use. You were only adding about 30 miles of range per hour of charging, the, the way you were charging. If you were on one of these ultra high speed charging stations that i'm talking about the things that are being installed now by the thousands that the infrastructure bill is going to put everywhere in the country a 15 minute stop would have added at least 100 miles onto your your range and then do you have a problem now do you have range anxiety you know it it goes away it's really the 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 darth of of proper high-speed electric vehicle recharging stations all over the country. It's not necessarily the range of the vehicles because these new electric vehicles all go over 200 miles. Many of them go over 300 miles. The the, the median range of new vehicles sold in 2020 electric vehicles was 259 miles. So that's the average, you know, of all the new vehicles sold, that was their driving range. Very yeah. few people drive more than 259 miles in a day. You yeah. know, I mean, you do on occasion, but um, if there were enough high-speed DC fast charges where a 10 or 15-minute stop adds hundreds of miles back to the car, then this issue that you talked about just wouldn't, wouldn't have existed. It's all about getting the infrastructure in the ground. And that's why I think this infrastructure bill is going to really help electric vehicle adoption. It'll make it easier for people like you that go on road trips like this to, to just not even feel there's any difference between that and a combustion engine vehicle.
0: Yeah. Um, do you see a difference, like in different parts of the country? You know, when when the temperature you have an extreme cold or extreme heat, do you find that your battery life or your charge lasts longer or is shortened by by uh, extreme weather?
1: hundred uh, percent. You know, batteries are interesting. They're like humans. They like the same temperatures we do. Batteries most happy when it's <laughs> when it's between like 70 and 90 degrees Fahrenheit. And and that's when you get your optimal performance out of a battery. Once it starts getting much colder or much hotter, it doesn't perform as well as it does in that real sweet spot. So um, when it gets really cold, uh, what happens is, I mean, the battery doesn't get damaged. It just, the chemical reactions inside the battery slow down. Mm -hmm. So it's not able to... um, to, I guess, exert as much energy as it can at the proper temperature. So what you'll have is the battery that can propel a car, say 300 miles in perfect conditions, might only be able to propel 240 or 250 miles when it's, you know, 30 degrees Fahrenheit. You know, right. and it gets worse when it gets down under zero degrees Fahrenheit. You know, the, right. then now instead of 300 miles, you might have 200 miles or 190 miles. So yes, the performance suffers the colder it gets, but there are ways to get around that um, the cars can do something called preconditioning where you, when you, when the car's plugged in um, you tell it, look, I'm leaving at eight o'clock in the morning at night before when you plug it in. So at seven o'clock in the morning, it wakes itself back up and it warms the battery up. So huh. when you're leaving the car still at hundred percent charged, but the battery is like at 50 degrees Fahrenheit instead of 10 degrees So what happens is, yes, it it warms itself up to extend its driving range. So, you know, and all the new electric cars have good, sophisticated thermal management systems that help warm it up. That wasn't the case five, six, seven years ago. So, you know, what we're doing is industry now is recognizing the problems and they're creating solutions to them.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Um, Now, do you see any new... Manufacturing companies, you know, like, do you see new EV companies emerging during this whole movement, or do you, do you think it's just going to be the the kind of the top players, and then pre you know existing manufacturers just com- you know, converting to electric?
1: So yeah, no, electrification has opened up the opportunity for startups. Uh, if you notice, there were no startups with conventionally fueled vehicles think about it do you know when the last u.s automaker started and and succeeded do you know do you have any idea when that was and, and who that was no. Who would it be
0: no or, or sat no but it's saturn
1: yeah no that was a division of general motors that wasn't really oh, okay a new automaker you know so okay. chrysler and i think it was 1928 so that's the oh, wow. last time 1928 was wow. the last time we had like a traditional automaker start yeah. and succeed you know not fail after a few years i mean we've not had like hugo tucker and so forth you know but or the or the hugo so, yeah right well you know so think about it but think about what's happened now with electrification you've got tesla lucid yeah. Rivian. Now, we don't know if they're all going to last 50 years, you know, but right. w- but what we have is this wave of of new electric vehicle manufacturers and, and that's just in the US, you know, plus we have Fisker here in the US that hasn't right. launched yet but they will soon. You know, you've got all these amazing amount of startups in China, a crazy amount of startups. I've been over there quite a few times, I've driven their cars, I've seen their manufacturing facilities. China is going to be an incredible powerhouse on the world stage with electric vehicles. You notice they never really were able to do it with gasoline vehicles. None of yeah. their vehicles were really that good. They couldn't compete globally. Yeah. Uh, but, but with electrification, it's going to be different. Uh, and then we have European startups, TOG, we have VinFast. You know, th- th- there's a bunch of companies that are coming out of nowhere and, uh, and that's possible because of electrification. Um, because the hardest thing to make with the conventionally fueled vehicles was the motors and transmissions. And the electric powertrains are so much simpler. So, like yeah. this, this electric motor, a big battery, and a controller. And it's like, that's it, you know? So, I mean, I've oversimplified it a little bit, but um, yeah. it's allowing startups to happen. And that's great for the industry because they're starting with a clean sheet of paper. Traditional OEMs, it's almost impossible for them to not look at what they've done all these years and create something completely new. They're really good at making incremental improvements on their existing products. They're not good at saying, let's just not even look at our existing cars. What would the car of the future be like and and make it? That's what the startups are doing. And that's an advantage they have in electrification. They're coming up with new unique ideas that the legacy OEMs haven't been able to do yet. They may right. be able to, but that's why the startups seem to have such compelling products. I mean, the Rivian R1T pickup truck is an amazing truck. The Lucid Air is a fantastic long range, high performance sedan. And we all know what Tesla's been doing. So, right. you know, you know, it's, it's, it's the startups actually, have a good chance of, of, of making it. Now they're all not going to succeed, but I think we're going to see quite a few of them succeed.
0: And you, you know you bring up a good point about the the commercial side. and it's like, are we going to see, let, let's say like big rigs, electric? I mean, I know that, you know Tesla's talking about it, but I mean, is that realistic where you know you're you're, you're towing these heavy loads? do you see that, you know, electric vehicle will be able to manage that? Uh,
1: Absolutely. Uh, And, you know, for big, like coast to coast trucking, it's Mm -hmm. almost easier than personal transportation because you know, the routes, the major arteries where we're driving coast to coast with trucks. And so it's easy to put the high speed charging stations at the depots along the way. Um, So, so, you know, and, and yes, I mean, there's no problem with, with, Power-wise, you know, we know electric vehicles are incredibly powerful, uh, and these big vehicles have room for gigantic batteries. You know, so right. they could make that work. Um, and what I really think we have an incredible opportunity, though, is besides the um, long-haul trucking, the sort of the other end of the commercial space, the, the vans, the the smaller commercial vehicles, the the we have an amazing opportunity to really electrify them, and the. The product planners or the um, the fleet managers of the of of industri- industrial companies that have fleets are going to look at the operating costs, and they're just going to salivate over the savings because you know the maintenance and the refueling is going to be right. an incredible savings that they're that they're going to have and uh you know i think that's the next wave we're going to see these small event fords coming out with the e-transit now and um you know that that i think that part of the of of the commercial segment is going to expand faster than the long haul trucking
0: like like how many years do you see this taking place
1: ford is launching their commercial (laughs) electric vans now uh, okay. So th- this year they're, they're they're coming out the uh, a whole array of them. I mean, you and and Ford with their electric pickup trucks, the F one fifty Lightning. They have a commercial version of that. I mean, they're sold out for like <clears throat> two years. They they can't make them fast enough. Uh, so we're going to see that. I think between now and twenty twenty five, we're going to see a big expansion in the commercial space with electric vehicles.
0: This podcast is brought to you by Turbine, the company that's linking the physical and digital worlds using the internet of things. Turbine is the largest system of sensor data from around the world, powering everything from electric vehicles to improved air quality and self-driving big rigs. Check it out at turbine.com. That's T-E-R-B-I-N-E.com. Turbine, we're taking the pulse of the earth. Now, I mean, you see the government putting these kind of, you know, regulations in place, but for example, they, they had a chance to buy up, um, a bunch of mail vehicles, right. Delivery mail vehicles. And they said they were going to buy electric, but then they ended up going with internal combustion. And I'm just curious what, like, what does that tell the people who are on the fence?
1: Yeah. So, you know, we all know government doesn't have a history of 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 doing things perfectly right you know that's why i like about the infrastructure they're, they're, bill they're, you're they're saying
0: just, that the government isn't that
1: efficient <laughs> they're just going to provide the money for the infrastructure bill they're not going to be in doing the charging stations and all that stuff which is what right. i like now right. with the case with the post office you know i think you know i i, I think lobbying had a lot to do with it i think co- companies got contracts big based on you know lobbying efforts it it, it doesn't make any sense that we would continue to use internal combustion engine for for mail delivery. I mean, there might be some cases for some of the mail trucks, the the bigger vehicles that travel longer distances. But when you think about it, the the small mail, the letter carriers, they have these short routes that are predictable. They know exactly how far they have to go every day. So that's the perfect use case for an electric vehicle. You can size the battery Exactly for the route, maybe give it an extra twenty-five percent capacity. So it, in uh, days that you have to do extra work or whatever, and uh, between the maintenance and the refueling, we could save the post office hundreds of millions of dollars a year, billions of dollars. Right. right. And I just think that what we what we had here was a case, honestly, of of um, you know the people that made the decisions were influenced by lobbying efforts and people yeah. that helped put them in the position that they're in right now because that's the only way you can explain this. It just doesn't make sense
0: otherwise. I mean, it's like when I heard that they were going to buy a bunch of new vehicles and they were going to be electric to your point, it it made perfect sense. It's like you have small routes, you're not doing long distance, you know, travel. It's, it's very, you know, compact to the, the specific area. And then when it didn't happen, it was just like, what is, what message is that sending? It's like, you're saying we need to go electric vehicles by the year 2050 or whatever whatever the number is these days. I'm, I'm not sure. And here's your chance to kind of lead by example and you don't, I don't know. It was just, it was an interesting kind of change of plan. It,
1: it, it was interesting to say the least. I think we were on course for electri- electrifying the post office until the current postmaster general, um, Lovejoy, I think his last name is, took office, and then things kind of shifted towards, you know, moving away from that. Uh, and, you know, I think the current administration is trying to undo that, but it's not that simple. You would think that, you know, oh, well, yeah, we could shift back, but the, 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 the post office is its own entity that makes its own decisions. And, you know, the, our, the current administration can't just say, oh, you're going to buy these. They don't have the authority to do that. So I think they would if they could, but uh, we'll see, we'll see where this leads us. I think it's very unfortunate because the letter carriers actually might be the perfect use case for right. small lightweight electric vehicles that are yeah. efficient. I, 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 you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of baffling that yeah. they went in a different direction.
0: Yeah. Um, so, I mean, saying all that, it's, so you see it's, it's pretty much going to be the private sector that's going to really push EVs forward or, you know, this, the infrastructure, the the movement of electric vehicles forward?
1: Yeah, I really do. I mean, I think government will help facilitate it. Um, Will, will incentives help make it happen a little bit faster than it would have otherwise, but this was going to happen and, and it was going to be, and it was really going to be brought on by uh, individuals that, that want the vehicles because they're better and private enterprise that sees potential to make money off of it. So, you know, I mean, that's, that's eventually gonna be what really drives this, this industry. It's gonna be consumer demand and you know, private enterprise that finds ways to make money off of it. It was very hard to do that four or five years ago because there, weren't, there wasn't a lot of really good electric vehicles available, number one. Number two, they were expensive. Number three, since there wasn't a lot of them out there, private investment didn't wanna put in charging stations because you'd be pouring hundreds of thousand of dollars to put these things in the ground and then one person a day might roll up and use it. So it's kind of a chicken and the egg. Um, yeah. But now that we've got this public funds available to help expedite the installation of nationwide high speed charging networks, what is going to happen is people, the cars will come because you know the, if the charging stations are there, more people are going to buy buy electric vehicles. They, they were afraid to buy them when the, you know they knew where all the gas stations were, but nobody saw high speed charging stations and. That, that made them, you know, a little apprehensive.
0: Yeah. And, you know, one other point that, you know, this, everything you've been saying, it's your explanations have been kind of have cleared a lot of mystery for me, you know, where it's like, if, if somebody's on the fence or just curious about where EVs are going, but the one, there's this one issue that, you know, some people don't really address and it's, the affordability, right? What if you can't afford a brand new electric car? Um, you know, it's you—it's just not in your budget to buy an electric car. It's—it's going to be a lot easier to buy a used internal combustion engine. Um, like, how, at what point, like, when are the electric vehicles going to be cheap enough that everybody can afford them?
1: But so that, that, and that's a great question. I've been calling for affordable EVs, you know, for a long time, but I could call for it all I want if, if it wasn't possible to make them <laughs> and sell them at that price, the car companies weren't going to. Right. And that's why we have incentives. That's why we have the federal tax credit of up to $7,500. So why some states have incentives, you know, um, you know, I, you know, well, you talk about affordable. Uh, it's, what's affordable for you might be different for me, might be different for someone else. Um, right. But what I can say is the cost of electric vehicles has been dropping dramatically. Um, mm-hmm. You know there are good electric vehicles uh, available today for not that much money. Now, um, let's say Nissan Leaf. You know I don't know if you're aware of this. You could buy a Nissan Leaf today, base Nissan Leaf, it, it with the, the the smaller battery pack. They sell one with the bigger battery pack. The smaller there battery is. pack goes about 165 miles per charge, somewhere around there. It's twenty seven thousand five hundred dollars or Twenty-seven thousand, somewhere around there, and you qualify for the seventy-five hundred dollar federal tax credit if you qualify for it. So it's literally it's under twenty thousand dollars. You could have a brand new electric vehicle today. Um, right. So that's one. Uh, there's you know there's a Mini Cooper SE that's only twenty-nine thousand. The Chevy Bolt EV, which you know there was a stop sale on them until they figured this battery problem out, but now it's it's starting to sell again. That's right around thirty thousand dollars. So after incentives. There are electric vehicles you can buy today that are around $20,000, and, gotcha. and that's, that's relatively affordable.
0: Right, right. That's cool. And there's
1: also used EVs. You know, there wasn't used EVs available five, six, seven years ago because they were just coming out. Right. But now <laughs> we're getting the, the first wave of people that own EVs for three, four, five years have, are trading them in for new vehicles. And yeah. so we're getting used EVs that are out there on the market that you can buy for under $20,000, $15,000, $16,000. Right, right. That's a
0: good point. Uh, so, Tom, what are you working on these days?
1: So, I am a senior editor at Inside EVs. Uh, so, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a regular contributor in Inside EVs. I also have uh, a YouTube channel that I started uh, a couple of years ago, and it's actually really t- taking off now. It's called State of Charge. And really, what I do in that channel is I do electric car reviews, but mostly I tailor my content towards educational. Uh, I like to explain charging because I think that's the biggest impediment. When somebody gets a new electric vehicle, for the most part, driving it is mostly the same. Regenerative braking is a little different where it slows the car down that you Mm -hmm. have to adjust to, but the biggest adjustment is refueling. So you know, I, I have this channel called State of Charge. And what I do is I do um, deep dives in, like I'll say, how to charge the Chevy Bolt EV, how to charge the BMW iX, and they're like hour-long videos that that go slow and explain everything you need to know about charging that vehicle. So if you were thinking about buying a, a you know, a, a Kia EV6 and you and you didn't know anything about electric vehicles, you watch this video. It's quite long, as I said, um, but you'll walk away from it and you'll understand charging. You'll know everything about every way that you could charge that vehicle, so it's my way of, of helping adoption. Um, I yeah. also do reviews on charging stations. So, if you need to buy a charging station for your house, I do these deep dive charging station reviews so you could look at the different charging stations and decide which one you want to buy for your house. So, that's really what I've been working on mostly these days. Thanks for asking.
0: That is awesome, awesome. Tom. I, I can't thank you enough, like, this has been so eye-opening. I mean, you, you've you just, uh, you have a, a clear understanding of EVs and uh, just, I just really appreciate you coming on and kind of dispelling a lot of the, the questions that people have, I think.
1: Well, thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun and uh, we got to get you in an electric car yeah. <laughs> soon. Okay.
0: I, I mean, you literally have, cause I was like, thinking about it and then after I had my incident I was like you know what I'm gonna stick to, to what I know but after this conversation I mean you definitely you know have made me think differently
1: is there like a specific brand you like like you're a BMW guy or you're a uh, Ford guy or something
0: I, I would take probably the Ford pickup I mean that's kind of I I'm looking for a truck currently and so I would probably and I mean to be honest I A lot of people hate the way that the Tesla truck looks, but I think it looks rad. (laughs) It's It's pretty crazy. But we don't know when they're going to come out with that. That's the problem
1: with the Tesla Cybertruck. We have no idea when that thing's going to come out. Ford's going to be delivering. I'm actually going to be one of the first people in the country. I bought one. Uh, I'm going to be getting my Ford (laughs) F-150 Lightning in less than two months. So um, wow. if, if you want to see what driving an electric pickup truck is, come on over to New Jersey. All right. <laughs> um, maybe in June, because I should be getting it beginning of June. And, you know, I'll let you tool around on the thing for a bit. And maybe,
0: maybe we'll cook together.
1: <laughs> That'd be fun.
0: <laughs> awesome, Tom. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this.
1: Thanks for having me.